Uh, something uh, about the different sectors. Uh, of course, Process is active in, in, in various sectors. Um, and I'm curious if you can give us some example or insight in differences you see between sectors that some are maybe heavily regulated, some are maybe less uh, regulated for foreign investors. Can you, can you say something about this? What's sure, your experience? Sure. <clears throat> so I, I think um, there are three basic kind of ballpark pillars in this. Um, the first is that the government really cares about ensuring that um, the sectors that it allows foreign direct investment um, mm. is well understood to safeguard the sovereignty, the safety, the national interests of the country, right? Um, allowing foreign investments in sensitive sectors is something that any country, including India, uh, would not be very comfortable with, as it should not be. Um, having said that, there are certain other sectors that have uh, a significant impact on um, the social equity, right? So, for example, insurance, financial mm. services, right? Health. Um, the sectors in which foreign direct investment, foreign ownership um, may take away from the government's focus on social equity, right? Where we have, you know, I don't know, 250 million people that are, you know, struggling with the bottom of the pyramid. Uh, mm. We want to make financial inclusion, insurance, and health is accessible to them. And mm. we don't only have companies that only view their top line and their bottom line. Um, and, you know, foreign investors coming in and saying, really, we're not going to be doing things that support this section of the society. So the government has to make sure that. So sectors also have, you know, Indian owners so that it can make sure that these societal constraints are met. And there are other sectors in which, um, you know, foreign investors bring in capital, bring in expertise, as well as the services that they provide don't run the risk of impacting social equity uh, in a way that, you know, may, may impede the bottom of the pyramid developing, growing, improving, access to basic health care, basic food, basic services. Those sectors tend to be a lot more free. Mm. Um, government would actually promote uh, foreign direct investment. And I think that the government has in the last 10, 15 years, you know, FDI numbers are up, insurance numbers are up, financial numbers are up, um, even media, certain kinds of media is up. Um, mm. That's a, a sign in the direction. Even, you know, defense is increasing, right? The government understands that there are different kinds of defense services, you know, highly critical versus ancillary businesses. Ancillary businesses are not you know, um, that kind of risky. So we should allow increased FDI in them. So the government is evolving and it kind of mm -hmm. uses these big buckets. Um, the other good thing is that even in sectors like insurance and financial services, um, the government is taking steps as the country improves in inclusion, uh, social equity numbers improve. It feels that yes, we can liberalize a little bit more. Uh, we can allow more foreign investment to come in because we believe that the economy is well poised to absorb this as well as some of the constraints that we have from a social political point of view, social economic point of view have been diminished. Um, mm. And I think that um, obviously I can't predict the future, but I know for, you know, my heart tells me, and I'm quite confident in this, that the current FDI regime um, is here to stay and is only to get better and easier uh, in the future. Um, with, yeah. Yeah. That would be my take on it. Um, I obviously uh, am quite bullish on the India Goat story. 
And I think that the next 10, 15, 20 years, if people are here for the long haul, um, they'll they see considerable growth in business and creation of wealth and um, capital. Yeah. yeah. So you say the FDI regime will be will 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 ease uh, or will at least remain and 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 will will, will you yeah that's your yeah, prediction yeah. Um, definitely I I strongly believe that and I think um, two days ago um, the minister minister of commerce and industry actually said that he said you know the the, the FDI regime is you know quite good it's here to stay um, we'll obviously you know make improvements uh, and the, the government will continue to improve that. But I don't think they're going to get more restrictive. Um, it's only going to get selectively superior uh, for foreign capital to enter India. Um, the, 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 the one thing that I will say is that um, while the FDI will improve, I think the, the single window clearance, uh, removing of red tape, simplifying processes um, is going to get easier, right? And I think people who were in India 10 years ago to now, they'll say that there has been a significant change, right? Mm. Uh, digital and technology um, has been quite well, um, I would say embraced by the mm -hmm. government, improve e-governance as well as accountability, uh, knowing who is responsible for what, at what stage of processes application is. So there's steps in the right direction. And I think um, in the next you know, two years, you'll find a lot of, you know, one country, one process, one country, one window, one country, one tax. Uh, the government is focusing on harmonizing all of this. Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's 1.2 billion people, uh, you know, what, 28 states, five union territories, uh, 26 different languages, every religion in the world exists here. Um, a lot of... Uh, what do you yeah. want to say with this? This. Uh, what do you want to say with this? This uh, because that it is very difficult to do this, or no? I just I just want to say that there are a lot of stakeholders, uh, voices that have to be heard, a lot yes. of uh, different uh, emotions, loyalties, feelings, uh, sentiment, um, concerns. Uh, mm -hmm. What someone from say Delhi is concerned about regarding his business can be very different than how someone say from you know Karnataka maybe. So to, to to help them come together, like I said, to, to kind of nudge them together, find the bridge, find the consensus, it takes time, right? Yeah. Like even for like family vacation of, you know, four people in a family, it can take a week, <laughs> uh, this is a lot of people. So I, I would say that consensus building and reaching something that works for all takes time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, especially in a democracy like India, where, you know, many people have a voice, many people have a say, um, it takes time and that's the beauty of this country that when these things do come together we're like a rocket ship right um and the adoption of digital technology in this country the op the mobile phone telephony is an example right when prime minister modi came to india uh came to power at the center uh, as the prime minister of india um he wanted digital india to boom and we have most number of mobile phone uh you know, I think second highest mobile phone telephony penetration, uh, mm. lowest tariffs in the world, highest per capita data consumption in the world. That's his doing, right? It took some time, but now mm. all digital technology companies are benefiting so much. E-commerce, business, accountability, e-governance, safety, security. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question on, on, on digital India and, and how much uh, this has been... Um, 
uh, how, how successful this has been or not. Uh, and I'm also wondering, because I sometimes hear, yes, now everything is online, uh, and that is a good thing. But then sometimes uh, when systems do not work, uh, yeah. you can get lost in that system. Um, and also, like many government websites, are uh, hard to navigate where to go. Uh, so uh, yes, there's no there's no person anymore that you can see. So there's not any more uh, well, there's no more bribery possible through uh, through uh, uh, because you, can, you don't see anyone uh, through a computer. Uh, but then when right. the system doesn't work, yeah, then you're right. you're. So so do you hear this a lot or do you face this a lot or? Right, right. So so I think kind of you, you've said the really great thing. And then you've said the, the shortcoming of a great thing, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that um, th this goes back to one of my like earlier points that um, technology is advancing faster than legislation of all or, or you know acts, right? So this mm -hmm. is the same thing that they brought technology and they said, hey, let's make things faceless, let's make things more transparent, let's make mm -hmm. all conversations accountable online, available for everyone to watch and see, etc., right? But obviously, sometimes there are problems with that. And I know for a fact that those problems are being addressed on a real-time basis. And I think that if you know you were on my side or with some of the people that I uh, talk to, um, every year there's been a tangible improvement in some of those shortcomings that you talk about. And I agree that it, it exists because you're bringing in you know, large systems, if it's for you know, filing police complaints or setting up a company, uh, transferring your residence, from one state to another state, filing your income taxes, filing your GST. Uh, but technology is every year, like every year the budget comes in and they try and bring more digitization. Um, mm. And I, I don't mean to bring down any other country, but you know our, our banking systems are like one of the best in the world, right? I studied mm. in the US, sometimes opening a bank account in the US or the UK would take a long time. Getting my tax forms would take a while. Things here are getting really fast, really automated. Uh, mm. AI and machine learning are, are top of mind for the government think tanks. How do we bring in AI ML to um, you know, improve e-governance, reduce the burden on employees, reduce burden on citizens? Uh, so it's it's a top of mind. And I think, mm. like I said, building consensus of what works for everyone. Um, and you know, we have the most number of professions in the world. And I think it, it, it's a work in you know it, it's a change, right? Like and it takes time to process it. And I know yeah. that the government hosts consultation sessions on everything, on AI policy, ML policy, tax policy, GST policy, uh, mm -hmm. geospatial policy, e-commerce policy, uh, privacy da data privacy, non-privacy data, uh, on you know, a competition, you know, M&A consultation. So they're trying to learn from society, learn from citizens what's missing. Uh, and they take copious notes and they try to do it. So I, I I agree with you, I share your sentiment, but I think that if someone was struggling with things five years ago, four years ago, there are a lot less now. Um, There's a lot less struggles. And there will be less in the future then as well. That's what yeah. you think. Yeah. I, I think so. I think like, you know, filing in and my income tax returns has become so streamlined now, right? Yeah. Uh, filing kind of GST forms has become so simple. Opening a company has become so simple. Uh, transferring a company from one state to another. Um, also, like setting up meetings with government officials. 
if I'm much what challenges to... what challenges do you hear from uh, the entrepreneurs you're supporting um or the companies you're investing in what is the, what what would be a major challenge that you hear throughout sure. uh, all over the board sure sure i think um the nature of entrepreneurs in the startup ecosystem is that um, many of them are not making an operating profit for some time, right? Mm -hmm. You know, startup technology companies for some years uh, are in this cash burn phase where they're growing, yeah. they're creating economies, where they're creating systems. And I think that as more and more startups come into that, that's becoming, um, I wouldn't say the norm, but that's how the business cycle is, right? You spend a few years building up business, uh, mm -hmm. having to burn some money. Um, that has ramifications also in how you um, kind of reward your employees when it comes to stock options, right? Yeah. Uh, we're all used to having stock options in companies that are publicly listed, so they have tangible value, right? You say, okay, my share is worth you know, $10 because it's listed in the stock exchange. So when mm. people work in a startup, they get shares in a company that hasn't really gone public, that hasn't really been of value. And I think that some of the things that the government is working on is how to ensure that these startups reward their employees in a way that is a ESOP structure that doesn't pose a burden on them, a tax burden on them. And because uh, we didn't have so many startups till four or five years ago, right? Um, this was never a cause for concern. But now startups are saying, hey, you give me a share, which the market values at $10 and I have to pay X amount of tax on it because the share is coming to me. But I can't sell the share anywhere because it's not publicly listed. Uh, or we haven't exited from this company, or this company hasn't had a liquidity event. Uh, so many of these founders and startups are saying, hey, the government needs to find a way for us to not have to pay tax on this now, but say tax on this when we actually sell the company, or we IPO, or we get acquired, when we have a liquidity event. Um, that's something that a lot of employees and startups, because that's how they get compensated, right? right? The future growth of a company, which is at this stage burning a lot of money. Um, I think the other um, interesting thing that is uh, being raised by some of the startups, um, especially in the SMB space, small and medium businesses space, is that social commerce, right? Um, mm. Small businesses that are, um, you know, tier three, tier four villages that are working on um, a business that earns them two, three hundred dollars a month, uh, like a household, like, like a, a woman in the home or a man in the home. He's doing a home business, a social commerce business that earns him two, three hundred dollars a month, right? Um, now, how do you integrate that person into the GSD framework um, in a way that is robust for, say, someone who's a supplier? Um, that is something that the government has done a lot of work in, has laid out some structures, but I think they still feel that it's a bit difficult, right? Uh, someone who's in a village uh, wants to be better position to do this business without having to uh, worry about what the taxation elements are or mm. you know the people that they're working with higher up say hey we're providing you these services we need your gst number or your tin number and he's like i live in a village i'm selling this to you know 300 people in my village and i earn 300 euros or 300 dollars i it's a bit difficult for me i, I don't know how to open yeah. up these numbers so yeah. uh how do we like like i said inclusion right how are the tax structures including everyone? And you know, very recently the prime minister did something interesting where he said people over a certain age don't have to file tax, right? Uh, yeah. Because you know, he said, hey, you're it's old. Too it's complex because it's too complex uh, online, basically. It's not too complex. I would say it's become much easier, but I, we, we we don't want to hassle you with it, right? 
because okay. you're, you know you're you're retired you're i think over 75 you don't want to hassle you with it and i think they get it right there are certain people that uh, are 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 obviously um, being burdened with having to do something that is taking away from them that you know is not mm. in their competence and the government's yeah. sensitive to it. Um, so I think these are the kind of things that they're coming in. When companies want to come in, you, know, you don't understand that, you know, if, if the German company coming in, that they really don't, they may not know English that well, right? But the Indian person knows English only. So how do you have mm -hmm. folks who speak German or how do you have folks who speak Dutch? Yeah. Um, I think they're thinking of those lines, right? How do you create this really great center here to bring them there? So I think it's those subtle things um, that need to be understood, the small problems. Um, that startups are coming up with, that foreign investors are coming up with. Yeah. But they want to get started. Let me have a quick look at the chat box because there are some questions that are coming in there for you. Um, someone is asking here, do you have any tips for uh, dealing with Indian government organizations whom we want to sell our products to? And is then a local, then an extra question related to that is, is this, necessary to have a local partner for this but maybe in, indeed if you want to sell something to indian government uh, organizations any ideas tips advice right so yeah i, I think this is a, a good question and i think that you know i'll be very blunt about it that um the indian government probably gets hundreds of thousands of proposals from global vendors every day every month right <laughs> it 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 probably will take a long time for a global system to be created where every product is you know benchmarked and scaled and understood that a government can go on a website and it's like oh yeah this company or this investment or this you know, product is benchmarked and scaled like this we can adopt it i think till the world or india gets to that level i think having an indian partner is very important and like i said right that that level of trust and acceptance and comfort um, is something that you need when you enter the country. And mm. I think a local partner may just help you bridge that gap, whereas the foreign partner can obviously come in and demonstrate the great value of the product. And I think that when you have a local partner, um, it also gives comfort to the government that you're not a fly-by-night operator. You're not coming yeah. here, selling something and running away, right? You're setting up base here. You intend to be here for the long term. If you know, your product doesn't work, you're not going to run away and disappear. You're going to provide me service, advice, mentorship, service, upgradation. And I think yeah. those things uh, are very important for Indian yeah. government, especially when... So really know, being uh, there, committing yeah. to the country, and being there also when service is needed. So, uh, yeah. Right, right. right. Oh, yeah. Because every dollar that is spent on, say, that product means it's one dollar less from, you know, school or food, right? Um, mm for you know government schools or poor schools yeah, so of course yeah. you have to make sure that the dollar is going to the best use the best optimal company and i think that means that you have to go through a couple of extra hygiene checks uh to make sure that you know it, it's something that you want to put it in and it's not a waste uh, not saying that mistakes don't happen across the world but having a local partner is very important also there are certain nuances of how the indian government operates right we have we have inherited the British uh, systems, right? And some yeah. of them are very old and archaic, uh, and may not make sense to many people outside. But that's just the way we've inherited it. And as it takes decades for us to untangle that, uh, I think the 
the nuances and the ways sometimes rational or irrational are better understood by an Indian. And he's yeah. able to find yeah. that better, right? Uh, that's, a, that's, that. a, that's a clear, uh, clear message. I've, yeah. uh, there's, there's more questions coming in. I, and we're almost basically through our time already. But I want to ask you this one. Uh, someone is asking, what tips do you have for foreign companies to check if their subsidiary isn't bending the rules to be successful? So basically how to, yeah, isn't bending the rules. Yeah. Cool. Check uh, on that. If, if it's a private limited company, it's always good to have an independent director, um, you know, who's there to uh, dive in and make sure that they're doing the right thing, right? I mean, obviously you have auditors, uh, you have accountants, uh, but you also probably want to have someone who's a an independent director on that company who is asking the MD, uh, the CEO, uh, employees the, the right questions, um, mm. able to at any point also speak to your vendors or is able to speak to any of the clients to do that. I, I think that's very important. And I think that you need to proactively make sure that your interests are safeguarded by obviously hiring people of high integrity, good background checks, but also mm. having someone who does the checks and balances and an independent director is very, very useful. And in fact, there are quite a few companies that reach out to me and say, hey, could you just help us out to just see that our company, our kosher, are doing the right thing are not bending yeah. the rule. Um, and just finding a person of high value, of high stature, high integrity um, will help you, right? Because he'll play your side. Yeah, that's uh, that's great uh, tip, uh, great advice. And then there's one more question, which I also really like. So we'll, we'll sure. have a bit more time. We'll take just a bit more time. <laughs> uh, this one is uh, someone saying it's related to the, the the first question that came from the audience. Someone is asking, while contracts with governments are more transparent, it still seems that often contracts are given to those with the best personal relationships with that department. How can you compete with with that where you're not so well connected? Interesting. So I think a lot of contracts that the government gives are very transparent in how they select uh, individuals, right? And I think that's transparent. They have e-auctions, they have e-vendors, e-tenders. Um, and I think that's very transparent. So. Um, if someone feels that they're giving it to people they have relationships with, I think that's maybe a small minority. I think right now contracts tend to be very transparent, very open. Uh, RFPs, RFQs, open bids, closed bids, um, open tenders. So that's become the norm, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I think is uh, useful is to have someone who's Indian who understands what the RFP and RFQ actually mean when they say certain things, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And and what I'm reading between the lines is someone maybe saying that, oh, this person has a good relationship. I, I don't think he has a good relationship. Only he understands what the person wants, right? Mm. It's like you know when you have two employees and the boss loves one, but they both work really hard and they both are really smart. And you're like, oh, this person likes him because he's nicer. I'm like, no. Sometimes he just gets what you want and he provides that to them. And I think that. This country has had a reputation sometimes of having favoritism and maybe nepotism at some point. But I think right mm -hmm. now that's changed quite a bit. But the change requires you to also understand what the government wants. Right. Yeah. And sometimes talking to the person and saying, hey, this is what I hear you say. Is this what you mean? And he'll explain to you because he trusts you 
that this is what we mean in government. So you give a proposal like that. I think that's what uh, is important to understand what they really mean. And sometimes it's not clear, right? It's it's a bit so ambiguous. It's, you go beneath the the layers a little bit. So you're basically saying that it's not all only just about the good connections, but also about good understanding, or especially about good understanding of the requirements. Right, and and the good connections does not help you get the contract. It it may help you better understand what you have to do, right? And mm. I, I know for a fact, you know, there are many people who have the best connections and they lose tenders, they lose bids, uh, because they, you know, either were un uncompetitive, uh, didn't read the instruction properly, uh, gave a poor proposal, right? Um, yeah. And I think that that's true, right? You may have a relationship to better understand it, right? Uh, what you have to do. But I don't think, because you have a better relationship, what you submit, if it is inferior to a competitor, is going to be selected, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's really happening much in India anymore, or I, I, I don't think it happens at all now. Hmm. So, Ash, I, I would like to thank you uh, for sharing your, your, your knowledge, your insights with us.